On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about affordability, interest rates, when the market might start to recover, how property taxes affects inventory. It was an incredible conversation. Tune in. You talk about it privately. We talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, James Dwiggins, along with my co-host, Crazy Uncle Keith. Yes, sir. Keith, tell us about Mike Simonson, president and founder of Altos Research, the person that you are a freaking fanboy of. Super and fanboy. This is uh, one of my favorite. One, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I would just someday I may just sell everything and follow Mike around the country in a van uh, like a Grateful Dead aficionado. Probably not. But so Mike awesome. was awesome. We talked about are people really trapped in their interest rate or aren't they? Uh, we talked about affordability and some different potential solutions. <laughs> he talked about a tax thing that made both of us almost want to throw up in our mouths. Yeah. Um, and a whole lot of other just great insights and sort of getting past the clickbait of people talking about the real estate market and using data and actual information to give us an Yeah, and some things that we, I've never heard before and just the data he has access to is incredible. So anyway, yeah, it's going to be an incredible show, peeps. Tune in. Yeah, put it in your ears, kids. Mike, it's so awesome to have you on the show. I know that I am excited, but I know there's someone Not as more excited, excited as I am. Not as excited as I am. I have been stalking this guy forever. By the way, I know a lawyer that can help you file a restraining order if you want. And I know where this individual lives. So, you know, at this point, I take it as a high compliment. I appreciate the attention very much. Like, thank you, Keith. All jokes aside, we're about to have you do your you know quick bio, but I seriously have been listening to your podcasts and your uh, your webinars for years, and the content and information and the way you parse data is some of the best I've ever seen. And I'm the nerd at our company that tries to parse the data, and you're one of the sources I go to. So thank you for all the hard work on that. We'll get weird in a minute, but do and want by to the st- way, if you guys are all wrong on your data, Mike, I know who to blame now. So <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, yeah, so. I'll take it. But amazing work um, for the industry. Thank you. Yeah, no, for Thank sure. You. And uh, I think let's let's do a few things. Just tell everybody real quick, listeners and viewers, your background. Keep it under a minute. But you know, you, you're very influential in the business. You understand data better than most. So how did you get where you are? And if you can work in a Burning Man reference, that yeah. would bonus Keith. extra credit. So go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go on mute. <laughs> Lead for Burning Man next week. So My man. Yeah. See, I really? missed one week of video. Um, so I'm Mike. I've started Altos Research in actually in the January of 2006. Ooh. So like 17 Ooh. years Yikes. doing the data. Uh, I am a data software guy by school and by, you know, professionally. And I happened to fall into real estate in the real estate data. And I, and, and I bought my initial, I bought a house, little old piece of shit, overpriced Silicon Valley house in 2001. Oh, that's all of that. Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. So like the yeah. rest of us. In yeah. 2001, two bubbles ago right. and, and like needed to understand what was happening. And I, I just started building data models, watching every house for sale in my town and then in like the whole region. And then I was like, you know, let's do this for the whole country. And so in 2006, I quit my last day job and, and <laughs> said, we're going to commercialize this. And, um, you know, 
10 days later, Zillow was on the front page of the New York Times launching with a hundred million bucks of venture capital. Yeah, which was like, a big deal at the time. Right? Deal. That was yeah. so much money back then. Yeah, and and it was like, it was in the zeitgeist that we mm. could understand the real estate market better than anybody had ever understood it before. Mm. And, and so I happened to go the route of bootstrapping and, you know, May, using my, my own man yeah. i can relate to that i yes. can relate to that but yeah. uh but you know i made it and uh and so you know it's been a fun ride along the way and now all of a sudden i'm you know uh like you know have a deep fondness for the real estate industry over all these years it's and you funny. just recently sold to housing wire correct that's right last yeah. year uh hw media housing wire uh, acquired altos and so i am Still running the company with the team. 100% of the team is intact. The brand is intact. The product is still doing the same thing. And we're just doing, you know, the media and the data work really well together as a, sure. as a company. Makes sense. For sure. For sure. Keith, let's start us off on the rapid fire because we want to, sure. this is going to be interesting because he's going to Burning Man next week. I want to hear how he answers some of his questions. <laughs> Maybe that. Yeah. So, uh, all right. First one out of the gate. If you were a, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? Any superhero. So mm -hmm. I um, I like the obscure superheroes. I like Let's the ones go. that are like, yes. you know, yes. the ones with the like the the, um, you know, questionably useful, uh, yeah. you know, superpowers <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. oh, you yeah. can uh, change clothes quickly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 uh, right. So I like the, so what's yours? Well, um, you what's have my like superpower? One? So, um, yeah. you know, the uh, the. I like. Um, uh, he's gonna say Tony Tony Stark because he's like data driven. You know, yeah. it's so Tony Stark's way too. You know, pro, pro. mainstream. Mainstream. Um, yeah. mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like. Um, you know, the uh, there's a there's a. I have a long oh, answer to this question, but I'm gonna go for the short answer. The, okay. the short answer, is, like I like. Um, I like. You know, I like the flight superpowers. I like the yeah. visibility. Like those kind of things around the edges are super okay. fun. For me. Yeah. Right. Okay. So favorite book or podcast that you've been, that you've read recently or you listened to? So uh, this year, the one that I found my, the book that I find myself reading, I've read a lot of books, but, I, but the one that I find myself quoting most often is The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Have you read this one yet? I did. It's amazing. Amazing, Amazing, right? Great book. It is. Yeah. Rick Rubin, you know, music producer, and yeah. it's worked with the best creators in music over the last, you know, 30 years. Yeah. And imminently quotable. It's like he he deifies the creative, creative process. process. It's super yeah. rad. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. It's a little esoteric. Like if you're like looking for a hardline business book, I wouldn't scoop that one up. Uh, but if you want this sort of uh, meditation on a creative brain, it's That's amazing. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. And James' yeah, book is something that has a hard cover usually sometimes and then pages in between. Does no, it have pictures or does no, it like pop no up pictures. in yeah, like no little pictures. diagrams? It does for not have pictures, but they are nice little quotable, <laughs> yeah. you know, Trumps. one sentence at a time. Yeah. 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 Uh, it has a nice little hippie edge to it. It's great. <laughs> the joke, by the way, so you get a mic is I don't read a lot of books. I, li I like to read research reports. And the only books I read night right now are for two year olds. Yes. So like I can yes. tell you everything <laughs> about Baby Shark, which Oof. I literally hate myself when That's I say that one. or yeah, anything that else. That's a rough phase. That's a rough phase. <sighs> We're full bluey phase in my house right now. Oh, and that's, that's happening too. That's no fun either. All right. Uh, if you could have lunch with one person, current or historical, who would it be and why? 
Uh, so uh, let's see. Lunch with one or uh, so. The, the current um, or historical, either way. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to go historical, okay. and it's actually uh, uh, the author of the, really my favorite book of all time is is Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman was like the oh. the physicist who um, w- like essentially invented quantum mechanics. He was at he was in uh, you know the the um, in Los Alamos on the bomb, but then he really uh, has done uh, did over the years amazing things. He was the guy who. Uh, sat in Congress when the space shuttle blew up and he took Whoa. the O-ring and he and he like ducked it in the ice water and he goes, snap. He's like, there's your problem. Like Richard Feynman wow. is was one of the coolest thinkers of the decade, uh, the, of the century. And his book is called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, it's a great memoir. Wow. Uh, and he's he like, he just like, like, uh, you know, the, the next level thinker that I really aspire to. That's awesome. Um, and so th- there are great stories about him. I'll be ordering that one today. I've not read that one. It's a great story. Great. Book. Awesome. So Keith, take us off into this. Sure. Let's dive into all of the, the data and we're in a really weird real estate market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's... Keith and I remember having cocktails, true story, how we met. <laughs> Uh, at an industry function and this is in 2010 right around there we're in the bottom of the market nine 2009 Mm -hmm. we're in a room filled with a bunch of real estate executives we're there on behalf of our organizations our presidents both sent us to this (laughs) and everyone's talking about how great they're doing and keith and i are like y'all are full of shit yeah like (laughs) there's no doing great in this market we left and went and had cocktails all afternoon and talked about how shitty everything was and how it was going to get better so accurate you know when they All go around the it. room and everyone like how's it going like oh we're doing great oh, we're, we're doing great. great we're like we're doing great i'm like you're a liar you're not doing we're great. all down 40 percent. no <laughs> yeah. you're not you i'd know? be on stage so. at an at, a t- at that time and i would say to the crowd like we're talking about the the market and the data right and i'd go into the crowd and i'd say hey how's the market and they'd go it's great yeah it's not you 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 are deluding at least yourself and trying yeah. to delude me all right yeah. first question so uh Often with your uh, with your updates that you do on a weekly basis, you've you've talked a fair bit and been on record about interest rate and interest rate sensitivity. Um, how is the interest rate situation really impacting the buyer round? Just in case someone hasn't watched all of <laughs> your webinars, yeah. Well, it's so um, what we can see this year is obviously affordability challenges like put a big damper on the market. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing that I notice in interest rates with you know, really subtle signals in buy in in supply and demand, demand side specifically, is it's almost it's not the absolute level hmm. of the the rates, it's the change in the rates. Do you mean so, the change or the pace of change? The pace well, yeah. The the, of, so yeah. if I'm yeah. if I'm like shopping at six and a half and suddenly rates are at 7.2, now I back off. You hit the brakes. Right. I hit the brakes. So um, in the last, so what was interesting is like rates rose dramatically last year, mm-hmm. and then they've basically been bouncing around the sixes, upper sixes, lower sevens. And so we had surprisingly more demand than certainly I was expecting sure. this year, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, sure. coming into the beginning of the year, uh, we ex- I expected inventory to climb and demand to keep falling. And none of that happened. And it was really so like, 
consumers have they have a really short memory. Uh, they're not shopping on three percent rates. They're shopping on six percent, or right now they're shopping on seven. And if rates fall to six and a half, you're going to see you're going to see transactions move really quickly. People who've been sitting on the fence take action. You'll see inventory fall. If it if rates go to seven and a half or closer to eight, you're going to see the opposite happen. Mm -hmm. So affordability is a thing, right? There are fewer buyers right now, um, but really, what we can see in the day to day is that they are in, they are really focused on the the change in those rates. And if it's right. rapid change, which we had last year, it's a it's, they're really sensitive to it. Everyone you know hits the brakes. You know what really blows my mind? And I just had this epiphany the other day. I'm just like, there's there's too many damn rich people, like. <laughs> No, like, what? hold on. I'm literally looking at a house in Pleasanton, California. Not me personally, just I'm shopping because I'm like everybody. I look at real estate. 1,300 square feet built in 1925. Okay? Uh -huh. $1.58 million. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going like, who in the hell can afford this shit? Like, it just, it's just like, but I'm, I'm almost, I'm looking at it going, there's a point where like just the cost of housing it's just outpacing income. Like I don't understand how, at least in the Bay Area, how everybody is continuing to afford to pay and buy housing at the rates and what they are. I just don't get it. I'm like, there's not that much. We're not printing so much money anymore. Like, what is going on? So, well, I, I think one of the things you you see right now is like, right? It's unfathomable how the median price home could be affordable to the median income. But what's interesting is since inventory is so low. It doesn't have to be affordable to the median income. It only right. there's only four hundred and ninety thousand single family homes on the market around the country. And right what now. should it be usually? Where, where uh, should it be? In in twenty nineteen, it was a hundred percent higher than that. Right, Jesus. almost a million. In twenty fifteen, one point two million. Right, so it's it's like not that long ago. So when you have three times as many homes on the on the market, those have to be affordable to a lot more people. And right. So, well, and, but isn't it more about the first time home buyer, right? Because here in Northern California, we have the trade up effect, right? Where you've built up a tremendous amount of equity, which never gets talked about. I think we, uh, I read recently that we are at the highest equity mark that we've ever been in the history of residential real estate, right? So people are sitting on cash. So when I go to buy that $1.4 million house, I, I might've put 50 grand down when I bought my first house 10 years ago, but my trade up house, now I'm walking in with a tremendous amount of equity that makes that more affordable. So the people who get stuck is the first time home buyers because they didn't get their foot in the door somehow and get to ride the wave up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I mean, we have a lot of crisis in, in the housing industry in the U S and <laughs> yeah. it's, and we have like, we put in these structures such that it makes it really a good deal to own. Right. And therefore we, and we keep making sure it's a good deal to own. Right. And therefore it's harder to buy. Right. We're at 4.3 million units shortage of housing. Was that the latest estimate from Fannie or I think it was Fannie that came out with that estimate. Basically yeah, we have, we're way like short on housing. Yeah. So, and we're going to dig in on affordability later. We're going to give you a superpower and let you try to solve the affordability problem. So uh, another narrative around interest rates that I'd like to dig in on is this concept of people are trapped in their home because of the interest rate. And 
I do understand that that's a component. I've been pretty vocal here and other places that I know usually, right? Shocker. Keith was vocal, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's a component, but it gets talked about like it's causal, not correlative, right? I, I feel like it's very lazy logic when people say, well, people are trapped in their interest rate. That's why no one's buying. Uh, an example to that is 25% of homes have no mortgage on them. In the U.S., most people don't consider that fact, right? So those people obviously aren't trapped in an interest rate. They could trade up easily, right, or trade down. So I think it's over 40%, Keith. See? Look, even over better. You're the 40. data guy. I'll trust you. I love so, how stats are made up on the spot, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, let's just leave it this. Just be vague, right? A massive percentage of homes have no mortgage, right? And then I know someone's going to come in with those are institutional investors paying all cash, blah, 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 whatever, right? But there's a bunch of homes out there with no mortgage at all. So... You look at data deeper than I do, obviously, because you gave us the right stat. How uh, is this a true statement? Is it causal? Is it correlative? Or And if it's correlative, how much so this whole trapped by my interest rate narrative? So here's the way I would look at it. I would look at it if we look at it from the lens of inventory, yep. uh, available supply of homes. Um What's fascinating is the conventional wisdom is that if rates would fall, we'd mm -hmm. have more inventory. Right. The actual, the data is opposite of that. And so what, so call this the Altos rule. The Altos yeah. rule is uh, higher rates yield more inventory, lower rates will yield less available inventory. And what happens is higher rates increase the holding costs for mm -hmm. real estate. And therefore, we hold less, we sell more, inventory builds. Uh, lower rates decrease the holding costs. So we hold more, we hoard more homes, we put fewer back on the market, and, and therefore inventory falls. So if we're talking about, you know, what grow, what will, and, and you can do this over time. So we can look in, you know, inventory has been falling yearly since for 10, 12 years now, we peak at the the, right. the crisis. Mm -hmm. And basically rates have been falling. One year in there when inventory rose January to January was 2018 to 2019. And sure enough, that was the year that rates rose. Mm. And then they dropped again. They dropped dramatically in 2020 and 2021. Inventory dropped. Inventory, uh, rates spiked dramatically last year. Inventory spiked. It Rates eased down. And so what we can see is that, uh, you know, lock in what what happens is uh what will happen is if rates fall will spur demand right but not as much <clears throat> supply because mm. when rates fall it's like i'm gonna i'm buying another one i'm holding my first one but when the rates are higher now it's like i have to it's like it's i'm going to sell i'm going to move because of my job or my family or whatever life events mm -hmm. those are going to happen and now i'm going to move uh, and now because rates are higher, I'm not holding onto that first one as investment property anymore. I'm putting it back on the market because I need that cash to buy to my million and a half house in Pleasanton right now, right? right? So <laughs> right. It, when rates are two and a half, like, oh. It's all a shack, by the way, not a yeah, house. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, for a million five. So yeah. is that really then, is it that affordability is the real problem? Is that and that, of course, rates are a factor a in factor and around that, for a sure. factor of that. We so can see that demand is lower, right? right? We can see that supply is obviously low right now, too. And so, you know, we are, you can't just look at sales rate 
the number of sales and and say that's where demand is because we're in a supply constrained market. If there was more right. supply, we'd have more transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but demand is way down from where it was during the pandemic, where we we're buying everything in sight, and you know, like didn't matter, right? This crazy hot market. That and brings so, up. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but that brings up a point that I hear so infrequently talked about that I'd love your take on because I feel I hear almost no one talking about the pull forward effect of COVID in the pandemic where we had, I don't know, it depends who you ask, but roughly a million, maybe more, a little more, maybe a little less, but we had a million transactions more than we usually have during that time frame. And those were folks who, because of external factors, right, working from home, work, uh, could, could relocate to other places, there were more than a million transactions that happened that should have happened later in the normal buy cycle, right? And there was this exterior impact that caused more people to transact. Well, that pull forward means you're going to have fewer deals on the other side of that, right? Because people buy every seven to 10 years. So do you have any data uh, on that sort of pull forward effect or, or just at least your thoughts? Uh, you can you can absolutely see the pull forward effect in the first half of last year. Right. People could see what was coming. They're like, if you're going to do it, you got to get it done before July. And we could see in the total number of like new pendings each week, dropped off dramatically. It always drops 4th of July week, but it never came back up and it just dropped mm. dramatically. And so those were folks who were like, look, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get it done in June and and that's going to be it. And so that was that anybody who was thinking of buying or even selling in 2022 knew to pull forward. And um, mm. but then, you know, one of the mistakes I made at the end of the last year, beginning of this year was to assume that 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 would hold like you know there would still be people on hold and that's why this year was stronger than i expected Mm. because like look it's still january it's still like well school's gonna start with time to get a new house you know those kind of things is really are are uh happened again and so we had more demand certainly than i expected to start the year but you could really see that pull forward last year and you could just see that you know new supply drops dramatically (laughs) in one week yeah do you feel like as an industry, like, I, I don't know, I don't know what the question I'm asking here is, but like just a train of thought, do you think like as an industry, we weren't paying attention from this, the fact that, you know, we had two administrations that dumped trillions of dollars into the economy, right? And that's a, that's a fact. Both administrations dumped a lot of money in during COVID, both pre and after. They're like, there was like a duh moment that we were going to deal with massive inflation and we were all just like putting our heads in the sand, not thinking about the fact that at some point we'd have to correct the actions that we took previously. Like I, I sometimes look back and I'm like, why didn't we realize this shit was going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of people were, were afraid of things like that. And, and however, I, I, I interviewed uh, Nick Timoros is the chief uh, economics correspondent for uh, the wall street journal on my mm. podcast. And he wrote a book about the fed during COVID mm. it's called trillion dollar triage. And he was in that book, he was talking about it. He's like the guy who has the highest access to the Fed and the decision making Mm -hmm. and stuff in there. And in that book, he was talking about how, you know, even before the the lockdowns happened, the global economy was just cratering. And and so the Fed was like on top of it. And so they were blasting money in. And so, you know, like his book is pretty it's not complimentary, but it's not, it's not critical of the policy. It's like, 
Yeah. Holy shit. We needed to do this. We got to do <laughs> the biggest thing ever. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so in that sense, we'll worry about like, the outcome later, but we need to dump money into the economy. Yeah. And we make need sure to the dump money into the economy now. Yeah, and yeah. Right. And so then you get the weird, you know, bull whip effects. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think we're still seeing that, like there's still yeah. a lot of cash, like, you know, a lot of the recovery in some of the Western U S markets this year, like Phoenix and things that, you know, slowed way down in the fall, but then kicked in, you know, there's, there are big investment funds out there, billions and billions of dollars who are like, their mandate is to buy single family homes. Right. And when, when Phoenix goes bloop, that's like, well, okay, that's our buy box. And they, yeah, and, right, they, bought, and they put a floor on the pricing. And so I think there's still like that was one of the factors we faced with it put a, kept the floor on pricing this, this year. I didn't know at the start of the year, whether those guys were going to say, I'm, I'm afraid. And they were going to exacerbate the downturn. Or whether they say, "Well, I got my cash and, I, and put a floor on it," it turns out they put a floor on it, uh, yeah. even though most that wasn't necessarily clear. Yeah, most private equity firms don't operate out of fear, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. They're usually trying to profit from fear. Not well, operate. I was just reading that Wall Street. I was reading an article this morning that Wall Street is, you know, very much looking at the commercial real estate market. They're waiting for things to kind of quote unquote bottom to pick up assets mm-hmm. and you know get in on it on the ground floor before they you know, start to rise back up. So I know we have some questions around that, Keith. I'd love, you know, your take on some of this stuff. I mean, I feel like we keep flirting with and talking about available inventory as a component of this problem, right? So, Mike, just between you and me, (laughs) when in the name of all that is held holy by whatever you believe in, will we get more inventory into residential real estate? Please tell me. All right. So uh, let's see. A couple of headlines on this. The, the first headline is there's no indication anywhere in the data of any surge in inventory, uh, like like not from investors panicking or like the Airbnb bust or the, you know, uh, distressed, you know, homeowners like there's no signal anywhere in the data of any surge in inventory. That is so, not what I was looking for, Mike. Right. <laughs> no. Excuse no. me while I go fill this with whiskey. I'll <laughs> yes. be back. Uh, that being said, mm-hmm. okay. um, we had, uh, you know, we the Altos rule, remember the Altos rule is inven- rates fall, inventory falls, mm-hmm. rates rise, inventories rise. So we had a decade of inventory falling every year with rates down and mm-hmm. going lower. Um, so now rates are higher hmm. and sort of stubbornly higher. So you can imagine that we will, you know, multiple years resetting that cost basis for like everybody who now owns two or three homes or how, even one at this, you know, at lower rates, their holding costs are locked in, but they, they will be, you know, those, you know, four or 5 million people a year are going to be resetting that cost basis so that when they move the next time, you can't hold two houses at 7%. Right. You get rid of the one. And so then inventory rises. So you can imagine a multiple years Mm. at higher rates, we start to ease back, build a little more inventory back into uh, the, to get back to the quote normal levels. It took us a decade to get down to here. Mm. And you think that starts next year? Okay. I think it starts to, you know, it actually started last year. You know, we had the big spike. And so we're off the pandemic lows. Um, Rates 
you know, inched down this year and, and then, but now they're back up. And so you can see like late season inventory starting to come. Um, I don't predict interest rates. Uh, I've been consistently wrong for 30 years on where interest rates are going to be. So, uh, you know what everybody else is yeah, fine. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I keep locking in 30 year mortgages and like I kept them refinancing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. go lower from here. Um, but, uh, so, um, I don't predict interest rates, but you know, if they stay higher for longer, they inch up, you know, you could imagine that, uh, that then that leads us to that, that greater rate. If let's say we go into, uh, you know, recession and then rates start getting cut and the mortgage rates, roll back down into the fours or something, then then it hasn't started yet, right? If we're mm. really addicted to the economy being at ultra low mortgage rates, then I think we will continue to reset, we'll continue to, to spur demand for house, housing, but not spur supply. So can I summarize in James's layman's terms, since you two are economic geniuses and I'm not, basically, if I heard this correctly, we're not going to build our, we're not going to build our way out of this problem. Like it's uh, not going to be from building new supply. Well, it's a I combination think, of. Yeah, I do think, you know, building is is one component of that. Um, and, but not the primary. You're but, saying but, this yeah. just has to be some people resetting and, and inventory comes on based upon, I mean, life changes is what I kind of heard. Life changes, right? Like <clears> you <throat> have a natural level, a number of people, your demographics, you have, you know, the, the millennials are still in their peak home buying years. Um, yeah, a couple more years of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you have at some point, the boomers are going to have to sell. <laughs> they're not going to be alive anymore. Yeah, right, so right. so the the longer term is- demographic things building for sure. We're finally building maybe enough houses now, but we underbuilt for a decade. So yeah, like, right. those things are, mm-hmm. are all in place. But, but I'm looking at when you just think about re uh, like resale inventory, think about all the people, you know, that like, and maybe you did this yourself, which is like, well, it's 3%. I'm going to buy the last one. I'm going to keep the next one. I'm going to keep my first house. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to, I'm a landlord. I have an investment property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An and accidental investor. Right. Accidental yeah. We investor, talked about that and on it's a pod, yeah. such a yeah. good deal when right. mortgage yeah. rates are three percent that that then becomes less of a good deal when rates are six seven eight percent do you think that there's do you think we're in a holding pattern based upon the election that's coming up and the sort of the polarization of the country and without getting into politics just in general do you think that this is going to be for lack of a better word like a lame duck year for everybody where they don't want to do any major decisions until they figure out sort of where we go as a country is that a you mean like that, the human beings who buy and sell houses, like those folks? Is that what you're? Yeah, asking? just in general, yeah. like I don't want to make any major decisions in my life until I mean, people think the president has all this power when really it's not Congress, but whatever they 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 fixate on this. So like, is that going to be in effect for 2024? Like, meaning, are we really talking 2025 for things to start? People getting more comfortable with where things are and making major life decisions. You know, I would. I don't know. I mean. The election is going to be nuts. And, and I do think, I do notice, you know, there are two distinct um, populations, like two populations in the country who have, they live in entirely different information universes. Yeah. Right? There are people in this country who think the economy is in the tank and mortgage rates are high because the economy has been way stronger like than anybody expected, right? Like people, we've been expecting a recession for, you know, a year and a half. Yeah. It hasn't come yet. Maybe it comes like maybe it, like I don't know when it comes, but maybe it comes soon. Um, but 
people have been saying we're in a recession for a year and a half. And so, um, so there is that. And maybe those people are making uh, like different life decisions. But I think more, James, is like more likely that it's, uh, you know, the big, the big vector next would be a recession. Like, mm-hmm. do we have a big job loss recession? Does it happen before the election? Does it happen? I don't, you know, after does it, wh- when does it kick in? And, uh, and then what does that mean for, you know, homeowners in general, you know, you have, you lose a job. If I lose a job now and then I go like 90 days, wow, I'm not getting a job. And then I'm like, wow, I got to stop thinking. I got to figure out what to do about this mortgage. Then there's Mm -hmm. another 90 days. Now I'm just starting this uh, like distressed process. It's nine months to a year before that house hits the market. Hits the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's, and, and meanwhile, that house for almost everybody in the country has massive equity right. and ultra low locked in yeah, rates. Like I'm holding yeah. on to that house with everything I got yeah, during right. that. So, but so that's like, that's 20. And it's still not even distressed. They're going to sell it and they're right. going to make money on it. It's not like it's going to go to the bank anyway. That's exactly yeah. right. Right. Yeah, and clever. so that's 2025 mm-hmm. inventory. If the recession starts soon. <clears throat> yeah. Interesting. Hmm. All right. The other one we've danced around is affordability. I, personally believe that is the, um, if we could solve that one problem, uh, I think you'd see a bunch of different things happen that would unlock the residential real estate market. So, uh, here is your superpower. You are now the real estate czar (laughs) for the United States of America. You can do anything you want. Uh, what would you do to fix the affordability problem? You know, I am a, uh, you know, I'm a city density guy. I live in San Francisco. Um, I am a, uh, I am a Yimby. Yes. In my backyard. I like, yes, let's build it. Um, and, uh, and so I am really interested in, uh, density and, you know, like allowing us to build out of it, you know, instead of building, you know, the, uh, more massive, um, you know, sprawling, right. You know, one more, you know, as they say Mansion. in, uh, in yeah. Atlanta drive till you qualify, right, uh, right. kind of, you know, exurban sprawl. Like, uh, we, I think we have a lot of opportunity and I think there's a lot of good policymakers around the country who are s- realize that, like they realize that, yes, we, we like our homes to have equity, but, but you know what? it sucks that my kids can't live in California anymore. They have to move to North Carolina or someplace to buy a home. And that's a, and like enough people recognize that, that I think that there's some things underway. Um, The biggest challenge though, is that, you know, so many Americans like the home is the source of wealth and the source of independence. And in a country where we don't have, uh, we don't have really any social safety net, retirement right. wise right like if you got your home paid off yeah at yeah. least i got that right yeah and so um so that it's it's really hard to um to to like work against that so all of our laws are about keeping people in their homes keeping the equity high uh giving them tax deductions like all of those things are about uh keeping the home price um up so Elevated. here's a couple yeah. other things i would do in california I would get rid of Prop 13. So Prop 13 is the tax Whoa. law. Whoa. Yes. 
the tax law in California. I'm sorry, your shit's cutting out. I can't yeah. hear. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I can't yeah. hear you. It's yeah. like fuzzing. I literally just almost choked. Yeah. I'm sorry. Producer, I got to hear. You got my attention now. Yeah. For those of you that don't know California, yeah. but producer, it's, mark the tape. Mark the so tape. Check it Say, it Say it again. Say it again. In written. California, mm-hmm. your property taxes basically never go up. Right. Right. Basically, never go up. And so, um, you know, you buy that million and a half dollar home in Pleasanton mm-hmm. and you pay, you're paying whatever, uh, you're paying uh, 20,000 bucks a year in property taxes. Your neighbor's been in that home for 40 years. Your Pay neighbor pays- Two grand. Yeah, two grand, right. 1,800 mm-hmm. bucks a year. So what happens is you talk about the lock-in, Keith, right? It, this is rent control for the richest people in the world. Yeah. It's And, and what happens is therefore- I can never, I'm never going to sell that house. I've got a 2% mortgage and I've got my tax rate from 1972. I am never going to sell that house. But you can transfer that tax basis, the property tax basis inside the same county, right? You could do, yeah, I mean, yes, but really the effect, I mean, there's there's like weird yeah, things around yeah, the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but really the effect is- I'm watching Keith sell. hold back his opinions right now. This is interesting. No, so, no, yeah. I, so, I mean- But I, the effect I, is, in Cal- and California has chronic inventory shortage, right? So, yes. you know, you could look during the-, the But the, is it, but isn't the, most of that because of the NIMBY thing, not the, uh, well, I, I, I'm doing what I hate, which is take one data point and make that be the everything, right? It's it's never one thing. It's always it's, a multitude of things. We have but lots of NIMBYs in California, for it, sure. Mo- Look, everybody I know touches residential real estate in some way for their profession. We all wish there was more inventory in California or use Northern California for my example. Every one of my friends feels that way. And almost all of my friends would not want a four unit townhouse complex right next door. Right next door. And they also don't want their their property taxes to go up. Well, that's right? because, I mean, but to add context, it's also because we have some of the highest tax rates in the nation, in the state. So like you add that plus if we had property taxes at the same rate as Texas, for example, which has high property tax high rates, property but tax. they have a low state income tax or zero state income tax. So like it's, you know, you're, you're balancing that. And we get into conversation about taxes in a second, but like you're balancing <laughs> that. If you change that with the way the state is, then you'll drive everybody out. Well, or what you do is California has high Which income. Would tax. be inventory, so he's not he, wrong. He's not <laughs> wrong, but like, I don't know. If that solves the problem of like trying well, to get everybody. No, so, in. so I mean, California has high income taxes because its property taxes are taxes. so low. Sure, yeah. like, I'm with you. you. Gotta, so like you, you got you, You're suggesting like, you, yeah. you you change property the, taxes, but yeah. then you lower the. Which I agree, we should do a zero state income tax here in California. By the way, like I absolutely. Am, and all in favor, signify saying aye. Yeah. 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 Put it back on the property taxes. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you have to worry about like, oh, but what about granny? Does granny get booted out? She can't afford her taxes anymore. And like you've you there are you gotta structure that. Every structure that and every expensive mm. market in the world deals with that. And like there are ways to handle that. And that was ostensibly what Prop 13 was about. Right. But it really means that, you know, if you bought your forty million dollar home in Atherton, in the in the eighties, right. you, you for eight million bucks, you're paying like you're paying. You it's know, a fair statement. Yeah, and it's no, fair. Like gonna sell yeah, it. it's fair. Yep. And um, so there's really James. When you want to talk about taxes, the land value tax is the coolest way to think about it. 
Mm. And, and we don't have time to go into it now, but it's uh, really. Well, we're going to have you back on yeah, and we'll do we a are. show on we'll taxes a, because that'll be fun. We'll piss yeah. everybody off on that one. Yeah, so. we didn't it's, even uh, get it's a the... really great thought there. But that's what I would do, right? It's one of those things that is uh, like, you know, we all have our mortgage rate locked in. And in California, we also have our property tax property locked. Taxes. So like if you bought in, in, in Austin in 2019, you got massive, you got a locked in low rate and you've got a massive home equity, but your property taxes are going, your costs are going way up. You're like, some of those times it's like, I'm going to sell that one. My investment property doesn't pencil out mm. anymore because my mm. taxes are up. I have to put that one back on the market. The Texas housing market is far more healthy than the California housing market because of Prop 13. Hmm. Interesting. All right. You and I, the next High taxes conference, make a better market. Go the, figure. The, the next conference we were at together, we we're going to have a bourbon fueled debate and I'm going to put- <laughs> We'll record that shit yeah. because that would be really interesting. But so, no, I, what, the, yeah. the, the logic that you are using is very sound. Now, the and other we love healthy debate. That's good. It's an way, interesting one to talk about. By the way, about. the, the um, uh, Texas people hate it when I when I tell them that that their housing market is healthier because their taxes are high. They, yeah, they right. hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's interesting. Like you take all the politics out of it for a second because that's what everybody's about. Like you you're not wrong in your statement. Like, you know, it's it's you bought this house a long time ago. The 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 tax rates go up. Was it one percent? They can go up, they can adjust one percent or something yeah, like that. Something. Some, yeah. Right. So it's nothing. And you know, your, your equity grew through the roof and you're not, I mean, it's an interesting concept. I mean, it'd be interesting to go down the road of like how you'd adjust all of that. Cause there's a lot of manipulation there, but yeah, you'd have to move right. some other dials. All right. Let's, uh, we have at, to wrap. We yeah, got so Give him, give him the question. The, this is the last question we ask every guest. If you, uh, were a residential real estate agent today, so you were going to make your living representing buyers and sellers and helping them through one of the most stressful processes of their life. What would you add, change, or do different in your business today? You would you would add this right now uh, to have the most impact to help your your future business. Um, I like to say there are th- only three questions in real estate. Ooh, what's for sale? Mm. How much is my house worth? And how's the market? Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, when Zillow launched, right, that that front page That's of the, the New York Times, home worth, right? how much is my home worth? Um, you know, and of course, the MLS and your IDX on your site, like what's for sale? New listing alerts. What's for sale? Like that's what's for sale. All the other in all the other insight. The questions: Is it good time? Is it going to go up? Do what can I afford? How does it like? What is? These are all how's the market questions. Right. And so having your thinking in addressing those things, like when a lead comes in and they want to know how much their house is worth, that's a great lead, right? But then, okay, next week your house is still basically worth that same thing. So what are you talking about? That's why we talk about how's the market? Oh, Mm. by the way, inventory is inching up. You know, if you're thinking of selling, you have an opportunity or whatever the the message is. So that how's the market is a, um, is, is always a real, uh, like always a real rich, uh, area conversation. Of conversation. Oh, you're mm-hmm. in real estate. How's the market? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it's crazy yeah. out there. Right? Yeah, and when I hear uh, real estate professionals say amazing, I want to throw a chair at them. Like that is the worst possible answer. You know what pitch is coming. You literally know. <laughs> You're going to be asked that question two to three times a day. Why not have a robust, thoughtful, statistical driven answer that will impress whoever asked you that question? 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's only three questions, right? So, yeah. you know, and then having that, that, uh, you know, a data driven answer, I'm a, I'm, I'm a data geek, so I'm, I'm biased, yeah. but it's like, oh, I mean, look, dude, there's yeah, but we have to, what, you, what you're saying is so damn important because it's like, if we want to, if the industry wants to survive in the future, we can't just be perceived as people that open doors, write offers and move on. Right. Like that's, that's just generally how the consumer perceives their real estate agent. And if they, if that's what we think we do and that's all we do, then we're going to have a really hard time articulating value in the future and, and getting, you know, paid for our services. They should be able to talk about, maybe not to the degree, obviously that you are Mike, because you're, you know, <laughs> you, you study this, <laughs> a bit of a geek. but certainly yeah. enough to talk about, <laughs> so certainly enough to talk about the economy and that market and where things are going and what they see and what neighborhood might appreciate better than the other. And how, here's one. How policy locally, and I mean this mm -hmm. in respect, so you used to live in San Francisco, can also destroy a housing market or make it hard for people to want to live there. Fair statement. Like yep. these things are all important issues. Like our friends in Oakland are having a hard time deciding where they want to stay because crime is through the roof. People make decisions based upon, do I want to walk down the street or not? Realtors need to talk about this stuff. I know it's controversial, but like the reality is they have to be able to educate consumers beyond just showing property and doing this stuff. And, well, and, I, and I agree with you. And so, why they may never be as, you know, knowledgeable as Mike is about the national market, right? They can be significantly more knowledgeable about their about local, the local market. Sure. What businesses have come in? How many jobs mm -hmm. does that add? What There's so much that they can know about the hyper-local nature of residential real estate to provide a great answer to that. It's yeah, so and, you know, it can be as little as like, you knowing, you know, one number. Like, oh, yeah. like, how's the market? Well, you, did you know there's only 12 homes on the market right. in this team? Like, there's only 12. Like, <laughs> yeah. they go, wow. Yeah. Like, and all of a sudden, yeah. you're the expert. Like, all right. I do is, I like, know there's 12. Like, that's, yeah. you know, I know one number. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm the expert who has an insight that you can't have as a consumer. They should spend an hour a week just researching and doing data to be able to talk about this stuff because people will choose people that they they want to listen to and that they think no more than they do. So, yeah. all right. Well, we, uh, Mike, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Made my um, I'm really conflicted about your comment on <clears throat> property taxes, but I'm going to have to chew on that for a I'm little bit. I'm curious, uh, not conflicted. I am. Uh, I am <laughs> curious as well. I would. We would love to have you back, and I think we'll talk about tax policy because that sounds like a fun one. So yeah. I'll skip that. I'll yeah. skip that one. <laughs> um, yes. But Mike, genuinely, thanks for being here. We appreciate yeah, it. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. A lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Trust us, it's the best thing any of us will accomplish today.